their stories being told. By people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed. Patrol, an edutainment podcast that brings to light ingenious, interesting, and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mixes in creative storytelling. Every episode, we hope you learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or at Ford Theater to astound your family, friends, or some guy in a tall hat. The headlines are ear-catching, that can't be true, factoids, while the explanations show you just how real they are. Every week, there will be two little lies thrown into the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth. My name is Brenna. And I'm Michael. And the topic this week is? Fishing. But not in a lake. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, as long as it doesn't involve a lake or a river, I think it's fair game. Okay, that makes sense. It's fishing spelled with a P, by the way. I, mean, I don't know if that was abundantly clear. I think he's being obtuse for a reason, and it's well, because he's obtuse. We had a we had a disagreement about what would constitute a, a story for this week, and one of us thought only internet stories should count, and the other one thought if it was a scam, it should be fair game. And this is an incorrect portrayal of the conversation. <laughs> one person was really confused as what to we were doing, and the other person kept insisting, "Oh, we're doing fishing, specifically internet scams." Like fishing. And then the other person said, once again, just to make sure, internet scams like fishing. Yes, internet scams like fishing. That's what we're looking for. And then was told right before this episode that is not what happened. So, Do you want I wonder stories? if we'll figure out who has internet fishing scams and who does not. Do you want my stories? Sure. Let's go for it. Comcast doesn't deliver. Prank calls cost the televangelist millions of dollars. The president caused an aerospace manufacturer to lose over $40 million. Okay. The first one sounds like a clickbait that's supposed to be like, just so you guys know, if you get Comcast, they're not going to give you all the stuff that you want. <laughs> um, the last one might be uh, something uh, might I touch on, but uh, that, that one... There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe not. <laughs> um... Let's see. And then the middle one was the the televangelist. Mm -hmm. Prank calls. Mm -hmm. That one makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Comcast doesn't deliver. That's That just sounds like you're saying, if you wanted services from them, they're not going to give you the right services. So that's broad. Do you mean that they don't deliver like pizza? You should stop fishing for information and ask for your first story. This is rich. This is rich coming from you. We did this last week too. You did this last week. We both did it last week. I did not do this <laughs> yes, last you week. Did. I was confused. <laughs> I was so confused. Okay, fine. That's fine. Uh, let's see here. We're gonna go with the televangelists. Okay. Prank calls cost the televangelists millions of dollars. So this one's pretty funny on the surface, but it's incredible when you stop to actually think about it. Well, let's never stop them, <clears throat> huh, folks? <laughs> Televangelist Jerry Falwell set up a toll-free number for his supporters to call in and seek spiritual help in exchange for donations, basically. And it was very lucrative. 
It preyed on little old ladies who were looking for salvation. Press two to save your soul now. Press the numerical number four <laughs> to, to uh, get salvation now. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's that, classics. That's a. If you haven't received that uh, that robocall, it's it's very fun. Uh, it's fun. You should get on whatever list it is that sends those. <laughs> <laughs> Enter Edward Johnson, a 46-year-old self-employed computer analyst. He claimed that his mother had been donating to the televangelist because she was easily taken in, and that she had donated a lot of money, almost, quote, the entire farm. He says that the last straw was when he saw that Falwa had set up a campaign talking about the evils of acquired immune deficiency syndrome and homosexuals. Wow. Oh, that, that was a direct quote, by the way. Now, Falwell was aware that setting up a toll-free number cost around a dollar each to his bottom line, but wrote it off, as callers who could call in for free were more likely to donate and donate more. So do you see where this is headed? Oh my god, people are just going to keep calling him and calling him but not donate. Johnson set up his computer to auto-dial the toll-free number, yes. wait 10 seconds so the operator could answer, then hang up. Yes, this is good use of auto-dialing. Anything that takes money from Jerry Falwell is a great use of auto-dialing. He programmed his computer to do this every 30 seconds, and this went on for over seven months, costing Falwell over $750,000. I've heard of people doing this to, like, cable companies, but it's they're, the way that they do it. It's some way that they get the money or something. This is great. <laughs> he was only stopped when the Atlanta-based phone provider Southern Bell threatened to cut off his phone line. Ow, 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 ow. And if you needed more reason to dislike Falwell, he regarded the calls as, quote, an injury to the cause of Christ. Oh, God, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, you horrible scumbag. So, as I said in the beginning, this is pretty funny, but it gets a little more interesting. Have you noticed I haven't used any dates? Is it still happening? Take a guess when this occurred. <sighs> Let's see, when was, when was he, is he still, did he die yet? Jerry Falwell? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jerry Falwell's dead. So, His, probably I, not soon, okay. not recent. Do <laughs> you want to take a guess? I don't know. Two thousand and twelve. Not even close. This 1980? Story, this story is from around 1985. Ah, and I find it fascinating that ever since consumer computers were available, people have been grifting each other. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Anyways, to bring it full circle, Jerry Falwell died in 2007. Oh, he died in 2007. <laughs> in his illustrious career, he founded Thomas Road Baptist Church in 1956, Liberty University in 1971, and the Moral Majority Political Party in 1979. He's buried on the grounds of Liberty University. And I don't want to get too preachy myself, but Falwell had some reprehensible views on society, but I think the funniest and the only one that surprised me came in February 1999. Oh, no. Falwell claimed that the purple Teletubby, Tinky Winky, oh, yeah. was included on the show Teletubbies as a gay role model. Quote, I find it absurd and offensive. He is purple, the gay pride color, and his antenna is shaped like a triangle, the gay pride symbol. Oh, my God. Wait, you're telling me that the, the stupid rumor people were passing around that the purple Teletubby was supposed to be, like, trying to turn kids gay, came from Falwell? That is horrible. And kind of funny, but also very bad, because to this, to this day, people will claim that that person was there for that reason. So that's a hot take for a children's show. That's basically, like, <laughs> the water's turning frogs gay. <laughs> but, you know, previous. that he, 
Jerry Falwell paved the road <laughs> for for uh, Alex Jones. Well, that's fun. Comcast doesn't deliver. The president caused an aerospace manufacturer to lose over $40 million. Oh, so this is the president, like the president of the U.S. Or is it the president of the aerospace company? I hate you. You can't just say president. Okay. I mean, that could happen all the time. They're the ones that give out the contracts. I don't know what Comcast may or may not deliver. They don't deliver a lot. They suck. Comcast blows. Do you want me to play the Jeopardy theme song right now, or? Well, it depends. Are we going to be able to afford them suing us? Definitely not. <laughs> so maybe you should, maybe you should reserve your Jeopardy theme song, sir. I guess let's just go with Comcast doesn't deliver. Okay. Because it's the most, like, broad. And I could easily argue that you're lying. <laughs> okay, so, the headline is silly, but you gotta bear with me for a minute. A person exchanges money for goods and services, right? Supposedly. That's what I've heard happens. And the person receives the good or service, right? Once again, I don't quote me on this, but that's what I've been told the theory is. Okay, and then it gets a little muddier when contracts are thrown in the mix, right? You can say that. So, the good or service is exchanged for money on a continual basis for the term. Now, what happens if one side of the contract does not live up to their side of the contract? They're breaking the contract? When someone signs up for internet service, the cost is usually related to the speed offered by the service provider. However, the fine print is usually that the service provider will provide speeds up to what you're being sold. So getting an internet package that advertises speeds of 100 megabytes per second is not breaking the contract when they only deliver 50. Okay, is this just one of those depressing stories about how we're being screwed all the time? Because I know. <laughs> well. And I am sad. A dissatisfied Comcast customer came up with a clever solution, or at least an annoyance. They purchased an internet package of 100 mega, 150 megabytes per second download speed and 10 megabytes upload. They found that they were often only getting a fraction of that. So what do you know about Raspberry Pis? Uh, you can program them to do all kinds of cute little things. Yeah, it's a single processor computer. It's great for small instructions. It's nice to learn on for coding and small projects. And you can use it to hold open doors. Um, if you know the door's about to close, you just slide it right into that little crevice. It's nice. That is one use. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. I'm just, you know, full of information. The customer wrote a code programmed into a Raspberry Pi module. The code was to run a speed test once per hour, and when the speeds were less than 50% of the advertised speed, the Raspberry Pi was programmed to send a tweet at Comcast with the test speeds. Wait, 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 wait. Can you repeat that for me? Yeah. Um. So the customer wrote a code, programmed it into a ra the Raspberry, Raspberry Pi, Pi, Okay. and then the code was to run a speed test at least once per hour. Oh, okay. And, and then tweet at, And then okay. auto-tweet at Comcast when the speeds were less than 50% of advertised. Oh, no. Blow them up. Oh, I like that a lot. Oh, I love it when people automate stuff like this. Yeah, so this is kind of a short story and kind of, I don't know, there wasn't much substance to it. But the reason I bring it up is because uh, the customer made the code available to anyone by offering it on pacebin.com. So I'll be including it in the show notes. Okay, they offered what on? The code. Oh, the code to so, do that? So you oh, could, so you could do it to your if, own stuff. If you have a uh, 
I, I, I believe it's a C++ compiler on your computer. You can run the code yourself and auto-tweet at Comcast as well. Oh, cool. So we could really piss them off. Or not. It might not. You could easily just go to Twitter and Twitter be like, yeah, okay, every time somebody tweets a Comcast, we'll just not let them tweet it. <laughs> be silenced! Okay, well, I you, you did get it right this week. Yeah, because that one felt like you wanted me to pick that. Plus, it has a number in it. Usually, whenever we put a number in it, it's always fishy for you. The president caused an aerospace manufacturer to lose over $40 million. FACC is an Austrian aerospace parts maker, and in 2016, they were hit with the dumbest and one of the most expensive phishing scams. Do you know what the fake president scam is? So, the fake president of the company, right? Okay, so there's a lot of different scams because I cover some of these too. At its core, the scammer impersonates the president or someone high up in the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's what... Okay, yeah. Yes. I do know what this is. Em I have... Imploring an employee to make a money transfer to a third party in order to appease a contract or for a legal reason or like pretty much anything. It often involves creating an imitation email that is similar enough to the that the mark, usually someone in accounts payable, wouldn't notice. The core of most scams are the sense of urgency. Creating a sense of urgency taps into the part of someone's brain that clouds their judgment, and the scammer is hoping that the mark just acts reflexively and without thinking about the logistics, rationality, or ethics of the request. The scammer will use authoritative language, ordering the employee to make the transfer, usually employing some sort of secrecy. A common one I found was, uh, we can't let regulators find out that our books aren't balanced. You need to make the transfer as soon as possible without alerting anyone. Which, I mean, like, I, b before people knew about this, like, that would that would definitely catch some people up. Yes. Anyways, back to FACC. The company fell for the fake president scam in 2016. The scammer impersonated Chief Executive Officer Walter Stefan in an email, asking an employee to send around 50 million euros, about $60 million at the time, for a fake acquisition project. FACC was able to stop about $10 million from being transferred, which is better than nothing, I guess. About a month after the scam had taken place, the board for FACC voted to fire the chief financial officer for neglecting his duties related to the scam. About two months after that, CEO Walter Stefan was also released from his duties for also not doing enough to prevent the scam. FACC then sued Stefan for, for damages in excess of 10 million euros. The case was thrown out on the basis that Stefan had not failed to fulfill his supervisory duties. And as far as the headline goes, uh, a, a fake president caused FACC to lose over $40 million. Or the, uh, the the flip side of that is it was actually their CEO. Yes, that's it's the, yep, because my story, I have one of those, yep. So I'm going to have to just gloss over all the explanation of what it is. Yeah, because my explanation was probably way better. Okay. Well, I won, so. Well. I mean, we'll see if you catch up to me, but I'm in the lead pretty hard. Pretty hard on this lead right here. All right, are you ready? Yeah. A 2009 attack on Google and the Dalai Lama? That's not a headline. Michael, I am so sick of this. It's not a headline thing. Your stuff was Comcast didn't deliver. That's not a yeah, headline. which is pretty broad. Okay, it is a headline. you can't keep saying that's not a headline. They're, they're the, going to start a drinking a, game where you have a, to drink every time Michael says that's not a headline. A 2009 attack on Google and the Dalai Lama? Yes. 
Okay. Are you ready for number two? No. Give me number three. I can't work under these conditions. I hope it starts raining. <laughs> okay, number two. Cybersecurity firm caught stealing key codes. And number three. Is your boss real? Even phone calls need two-factor authentication. Yeah, my boss is real. Dead air. I gotta think about these, because, like... Okay, read number one again. Why, so you can poop on it? Yeah, exactly. A 2009 attack on Google and the Dalai Lama. Okay, so it, it so it, the attack attacked both Google and the Dalai Lama? Yes, that would be what that connecting word and. It's this one plus the other one. Okay, well, I think that's true, because I do recall seeing something about it. What's number two? Cybersecurity firm caught stealing key codes. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. So even if that story isn't true, <laughs> technically it is true. You're so full of number it. Number three, A cybersecurity firm. Okay, whatever. That number happens all three, the time. is your boss real? Even phone calls need two-factor authentication. That one's... <sighs> okay, give me number... Uh, read number one. Okay, thank God you picked one. Number one is a 2009 attack on Google and the Dalai Lama. Operation Aurora is the first mission in the single-player campaign of Battlefield Bad Company 2. Now, Michael, what do you think this is going to have to do with our topic today? This isn't the storyline from that, is it? Because <laughs> I've played that. It's very bad if I, if I accidentally guess that. Well, you're in for a surprise, because other than sharing the name of one of the most widespread cyber attacks in history, not much else. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and it's, it's silly that you thought it did, so... <laughs> Operation Aurora was a cyber attack that took place in mid-2009 against Google and upwards of 34 other U.S.-based tech companies, defense contractors, etc., etc., and is purported to have been carried out by the Elderwood Group, a Beijing-based hacker unit. The attack was first acknowledged by Google in a January 12, 2010 blog where they stated the attack took place in December of 2009 and later acknowledged it had taken place earlier. While giving little information on how it happened, the blog post focused more on why they thought it had happened. Before we get into that, I'll just clear some things up. Although in Google's case, technically the attack was perpetrated via a zero-day exploit in the Internet Explorer browser, which is like uh, an unknown hole in things. When they say zero-day, it means nobody knows about it. <laughs> mm. And it was not made clear whether the vulnerability exposed Google servers because Google employees used the Internet Explorer browser or because an employee clicked on a link that opened up to the Internet Explorer browser. So it didn't specify if it's because it was their daily use stuff or well, if somebody just was clicking things they weren't supposed to. You'd think that Google would like uninstall uh, Internet Explorer on all their computers and just install Chrome. Like, Well, this is 2009. Um... As Chrome was first created in 2008, it would seem Google would default to their own browser, meaning this may have been a phishing attack. But even if that is not the case, we are going to just chalk this one up to a possible phishing attack. But now that this isn't even about phishing really anymore, it doesn't matter if it counts as a phishing attack. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, it would be coupled with a zero-day exploit hack, all under a nice warm blanket of expert-level encryption, the likes of which had not been seen before by U.S. cybersecurity companies at the time. 
So it's a big old bundle of gross stuff that got in there. But yeah, I guess they were still using Internet Explorer. But if it if they weren't, if they were all being using like Chrome, then the reason they would have gone to Internet Explorer is because they clicked on the link that took them to it. Yeah, like that. That's why I'm. I don't know. Yeah, screw it. Dmitry Alperovich, vice president of threat research at McAfee coined the term Operation Aurora after a file path named Aurora that was included in two of the malware binaries used by the attackers. In the case of the defense contractors, Northrop Grumman being specifically named in this one, not only was the zero-day vulnerability used to place a backdoor on servers so that they could get in later, uh, but software configuration management was left wide open with no protections, basically meaning anyone could come in and change the configuration. You know that stuff, like, your computer's like, who's allowed to use this? Are you the administrator? They didn't have any of that, so you could go in and change anything. You didn't have to be administrator or whatever. (laughs) So that was also really stupid. Anyways, according to Google, the hackers were based in China and had aimed to steal intellectual property, but even more so were attempting to spy on Chinese human rights activists by accessing their account information via the compromised servers. Yeah, weren't they trying to break into his email to, like, get incriminating evidence on him or something like that? Possibly. According to one of the cables leaked to WikiLeaks during Cablegate, in November of 2010, a Chinese contact relayed to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing that the attack was carried out by government operatives private security experts, and internet outlaws who had been recruited by the Politburo of the Chinese Communist Party. The cable continued to claim that China had been infiltrating computer systems since 2002 and other targets included Western allies as well as the Dalai Lama. Of course, because they're super into what's going on over there because they, once again, it's very contested. (laughs) Although Secretary of State at the time, Hillary Clinton, came out the same day the blog post was published and made a brief statement condemning the attacks and requesting response from China, China supposedly never apologized for the attacks, and it is really unclear where the U.S. government and China stand on the whole situation. Microsoft issued an update for Internet Explorer the following week to fix the exploit, which they had acknowledged they knew about in September of 2009. But otherwise, there was no other follow-up. Oh, jeez, there's a mole in Microsoft. <laughs> well, that's a, the whole, like, zero-day exploit. Like, they don't find out until they're, like, oh, until it, like, gets pointed out by something. <laughs> um, the only lesson that seemed to have been learned were that corporations would need to be concerned not only with private hacking groups, but government-backed groups as well. And for all of our listeners out there, don't forget to update your browsers, Operating systems and programs. Security updates are no joke. And, <laughs> and that's it for today's PSAs, probably. And remember, Internet Explorer is only used to download Google Chrome or <laughs> Firefox. <laughs> Do not use Internet Explorer anymore. Don't even oh, use Edge. Oh, you know what? People have been trying to tell me. They're like, you know what? Internet Explorer has been trying to have a comeback lately. I'm like, yeah, you're trying to get into my computer, aren't you? <laughs> 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 All right. So that was not a lie. Yeah. So you still got 50-50 chance here, buddy. Okay. The best part is I don't remember which one of these is the one. <laughs> okay. So we've got cybersecurity firm caught stealing key codes. Or is your boss real? Even phone calls need two-factor authentication. I mean, I I don't understand what having your boss being real has to do with a phone call having two-factor authorization because literally anything can have two-factor 
authorization. Like you logging in on a on a computer, you uh, going on to your mobile banking. Uh, I imagine even a phone call can use two-factor authentication. I'd send you a text or something, or an email. I don't know. Both of those are true. So, I don't know. I Just d- keep talking it out. It's fine. I don't think you grasped the, uh, the objective this week. <laughs> so I just automatically lose, you, even well, though yeah, I won? Yeah, because you, you wrote three <laughs> trues. Even if your specific story isn't true. So is that the end of the podcast then? Yeah. Okay, that's it, I guess. We're just going to have a good on one. Here. Bye. <laughs> this is why I curse. Give me number two. I'll give you number two. I'll go number two all over you, buddy. Well, that. Cybersecurity firm caught stealing key codes. In March of 2011, low level employees at RSA, a cybersecurity company, clicked on an email with an attached Excel spreadsheet labeled 2011 Recruitment Plan. Upon downloading the files and opening them, the employees were perplexed, not because the recruitment plan sucked or anything, but for the obvious reason of why we are covering it today. (laughs) Instead, an Excel spreadsheet opened up with nothing but an X in the first box of the spreadsheet. What the employees were experiencing, unbeknownst to them, was a spear phishing attack aimed at getting access to their server. And what they would later find out was the Excel spreadsheet was actually a zero-day exploit, which took advantage of a vulnerability in Adobe Flash, which then installed a backdoor so the hackers could get back into the server. Again, once inside, the advanced persistent threat continued with their naughty endeavors, using a a variant of the Poison IV Trojan malware to access higher-level information throughout. Very nice. It's very lovely. Now, after the discovery, RSA was pretty tight-lipped about what had gone down with the hackers' intrusion, taking over a month to even explain what had happened to them. And aside from telling customers that the security of their products may be somewhat reduced, it was unclear what the hackers had stolen from them. So RSA was keeping really hush-hush about what went on because it's probably pretty embarrassing. You're supposed to be a cybersecurity company and you're getting hacked. (laughs) So, as a cybersecurity firm and the creators of the SecureID two-step authentication system, who do you think RSA's top clients are? Uh, probably DOD. Yeah. De- defense contractors. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Defense contractors. Wow, you, were, you went along with the script. I was in the biz. <laughs> uh, shut up. So, how embarrassing would it be if you tried to keep the extent of your breach under wraps, but one of your customers, oh, say, I don't know... Lockheed Martin found out they had been breached by duplicated secure ID keys that only your company has access to. Big ol' oof for sure. Egg on face. (laughs) I just got egg on face. Foot in mouth. (laughs) Big ol' goal. (laughs) Old Gil's done it again. In May of 2011, roughly two months after RSA's breach, Lockheed Martin, as well as L3 (laughs) Communications now known as L3 Harris Technologies, and even Northrop Grumman, discovered their systems had been breached due to cloned secure ID keys from RSA's servers. So I guess we know what they were looking for now. (laughs) The way the secure ID two-factor authentication works is that when an employee of one of these contractors attempts to log into a secured server, they are required to get a special code via a key fob or another system to input along with their password and username. It was these key fob codes that had been stolen and cloned by the hackers. 
In the end, RSA ended up replacing all of the security tokens for their customers, and it can be assumed brushed up on their in-house cybersecurity awareness. It is unknown who the hackers were and if they made off with any juicy defense info, but it certainly makes me glad that I never click on any email that seems important. Probably not. <laughs> but I, what I imagine is the, the people who get the info, they don't actually want the info. They just want to sell it. They just want to be a middleman. Well, yeah, but I mean... Yeah, but like, they're just going to give the codes out to someone. They don't want the Lockheed's... So I guess what they're saying is, they wonder if any of this ended up getting into anybody's pockets that it shouldn't have been. Well, yeah, but for other reasons, not because RSA screwed the pooch. Anyways, they weren't the ones that stole the security keys. Yeah, they were. They didn't steal them. Yeah, because the hackers were inside the server. Give me number three. <laughs> Obviously, a number three is the only one left. Please, you're you're stalling. I feel like you're stalling because I'm right. <laughs> I just feel like running away all you're the stalling. time. <laughs> is your boss real? Even phone calls needs two. Even phone calls need two-factor authentication. Hey, uh, hey, did you did you hear about this one? Huh? Huh? Did you hear about this? Uh, nope. What's that? You're saying that's why we're here because you haven't heard of this? Well, you gotta get out more, huh? Yeah, here it goes. And Do uh, the monologue. <laughs> and a pretend late night show sketch. So this one is a little different from most phishing attacks, but I'm going to file it under a combination of vishing phishing using a telephone conversation, and a CEO impersonation scam, what Michael was going over earlier, or in this case, company owner impersonation. In September of 2019, a UK-based energy firm, which has not been disclosed, was the target of a first-of-its-kind vishing attack when the CEO of the firm received a call from his boss, the head honcho, to immediately transfer 220,000 euros, or roughly 243,000 US doleros, to a Hungarian supplier. The CEO had not thought twice about the transfer, but after the money was transferred, his boss called back stating the money had been reimbursed and it needed to be transferred again. The CEO had not seen the transfer reimbursement go through, so when the boss called back asking for a subsequent transfer, that was when the CEO knew something was up. That, and the final call was made from an Austrian phone number, which honestly seems a little sloppy, but I digress. What the poor man was dealing with was the first known case of a targeted phishing attack carried out by an AI-generated deepfake voice. Wow, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. That's why you might need to ask more questions on the phone. <laughs> Although the man thought he recognized the subtle German accent in his boss's voice and what he called his melody, it turns out the voice was spoofed to sound just like the head of the firm to siphon off payments from the unsuspecting employee. The energy firm was fully reimbursed by their insurance company, Euler Herms Group SA, for the lost money in the attack. But the fact that the spoofing and deepfake technology has come as far as this makes you rethink how paranoid movie spies really don't seem anymore when they say they have to make sure it is really you. <laughs> what year was this? That was in 2019. If they only wanted 200-some thousand euros? Well, you don't want to be super sus. Yeah, but, like, for the first attack of its kind, like, like swing for the fences. They were probably hoping don't, that... Don't bunt home run. They were They were hoping that he wasn't gonna, uh... Question it? 
catch on. Yeah, because you're not supposed to, you're supposed to do, like, a bunch of little ones. Plus, if it worked, they would just be able to re-spoof it again. Because it's the dude's voice, like, it's my boss, man. Yeah, but you're, like, what, I, what I'm saying is you're going to get away with it once, maybe twice, like. Yeah, I mean, if it's just a one or two person job, that's, that's a lot of money. Come on, you're leading off in the inning, just, like, swing for the fences. That's how you go to prison. These guys luckily were never caught. You're going for, to, um, for them. For 200000 you're going to prison anyways. Like <laughs> No, they didn't go to prison. Well, they never caught. I know, but what I'm saying is the difference between 2000000 and 200000 is like, what, maybe five years prison term? Yeah, like, well, they, it's didn't like nothing. Get, they didn't get the little amount either. Oh, oh. But then why, did, why didn't insurance reimburse them? Oh, I guess that it did work. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. You're right. Well, okay, you have anything else? They they made off with like <laughs> almost a quarter million euros. That's still a lot. I guess. Uh, well, there was uh, just a one notable that I thought was kind of pertinent. Can we talk about LifeLock guy? If you would like to talk about LifeLock, I guy. I, okay. I didn't I didn't write anything down, but like I find his fun, his story so funny. So the creator of LifeLock, for anyone who doesn't know, has been living under a rock for the past ten years. LifeLock was, uh, it's a credit reporting, uh, agency and they monitor all of your credit reports for fraudulent activity. Oh, I remember that. Oh, he's the guy that put the his social on the yeah, so commercials. One of their first, uh, uh, big advertising things was they had a commercial. I want to say it was during the Super Bowl too, but I'm not entirely sure. And, uh, the, the CEO came on and said, our product is so good. Here's my social security number. And they had, like, a truck driving around with a social security number on it. It was funny. All of his credit accounts were were uh, uh, impersonated within a day. <laughs> he had to he had to change his social security number, I think, at least twice. Anyways. Oh, whoa, whoa. Man, one when in- your confidence outweighs uh, the surface. Idiot. <laughs> Super idiot. Okay, sorry. Okay, I just wanted to mention, uh, because we had a... A problem with our grid, our power grid recently. Oh, we're going to talk about uh, solar flares. <laughs> no. The hacking of the uh, Ukraine power grid. Oh. In 2015, Ukraine's power grid was compromised and the electricity supply was disrupted to consumers due to a spear phishing campaign via email using the Black oh. Energy malware. Yeah. Reportedly, the kill disk malware was also used to destroy files and IT infrastructure as well as taking control of power switches remotely. I was going to use that Which story. is very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, there was a couple stories. Man, I could have gotten away with telling <laughs> now. <laughs> I guess we'll have to do this one again. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do we'll make it more broad because I covered all the good fishing ones. Um, <laughs> and you did whatever you did, and I had fun. <laughs> I guess that's all that matters is Michael had fun. Hey, I got to tell you about Jim Falwell or whatever his name was. Jerry. I don't care. He's an asshole. Yeah, he's a he's a real Jerry. <laughs> They ask me. Yeah, but he got to lose millions of dollars. Like, I come know. on, that's fun. <laughs> Which was given to and him because the, he scammed that million. The biggest of thing is, I found that story like months ago, and I didn't have a good opportunity to use it. And I saw, my, I saw my shot, and I took it. So there you go. You You're know, welcome. that's one of the worst parts. Is I will find a story, I'm like, oh my god, what can I squeeze this into? And it just never comes up. And I'm just like, but if I hold on to it too long, I'm gonna get drunk and want to talk about it with Mike with a bar. <laughs> Anyways, anything else? Nah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, same. <sighs> Jesus. How do we end pretty, these? Pretty short. Uh, 
Oh, uh, usually we end it with... We did it really good uh, earlier. Which, what we do is you go first and you say your social security number through the thing and then I'll go. And then we'll read off our uh, credit card numbers and um, our mother's maiden names and such. Okay. Well, then uh, I'm Michael and my social security number is 975-1260. I'm Brenna. My social security number is 934-6489. And we're protected by LifeLock, so don't try. This is getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> My mother's maiden name is Warbin Jaegerman Jensen. <laughs> All right. Bye. Have a good one. For show ideas, inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void. Found on the Free Music Archive, CCBY License. Thank you for listening. Hey, did you hear about this, huh? No? What's that? You're saying that's why we're here? Because, okay, I don't want to talk that. What? Screw this shit. It literally says, end of pretend late night show host can sketch. <laughs> you were going to do that on your own? No, do, do it. Do it, thing. please. Okay. Well, and we'll cut it when it's bad. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Later on, I'm going to cut it out and you're going to post it right back in. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>